Welcome back to Skillful Means Podcast. I'm Jennifer O'Sullivan. And I'm Annie Moyer. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the first two of 12 embodiments that we have conceptualized as a way of living our yoga, and they are quiet and attention. Before we jump in, I wanted to just acknowledge that we're a little late getting this episode out this week. Actually, by now it's a few days late (laughs) over the weekend. And it's totally not on you, Annie, but a little tiny, tiny, teeny part of this is that you were out of town (laughs) for 10 days on a practice learning retreat. And I'm just really dying to hear how that was for you and anything you wanted to bring to the listeners about that experience. I think you can say it's more than a tiny part about me being out of town. I I will take a lot of responsibility and, and I'm, but it's for a happy reason. Yeah. Yeah, I, so I've, I have begun my three year master of divinity program through Naropa university. Most of it is hybrid, but portions of it are in person. And this was our launch retreat. So we were in, the mountains, we were in the Rocky Mountains, so uh, a couple oh. hours northwest of Boulder hmm. in Red Feather Lakes, Colorado. Beautiful setting. I know, I'm just thinking about it. It's like achingly beautiful out there. Oh, and I mean, it's beautiful in the daytime, but my goodness, the stars at night mm-hmm. were just dreamy. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, when you can see the Milky Way, that's just a whole nother level of perspective Mm -hmm. on our own impermanence and smallness relative to the universe. And it's the perfect kind of setting to do contemplative practice. Mm. We spent the first half of every day meditating. We would do sort of 30 to 40 minute sessions and then we would break a little bit and walk around outside, get some tea. Then we would come back and do another sit, another stretch. And that was every morning, all morning until lunchtime really. It was funny, we're supposed to also have silent breakfast, but that didn't ever really pan out mm. because, because in part, everybody was really fascinating and eager to get to know each other. It's a really accomplished, wonderful, diverse group of people. And, and then in the afternoons we were, we were doing coursework. We had lectures and discussions and readings and we're learning about the, you know, the history of Buddhism and the science of listening (gasps) to each other, embodied listening and, Um, And then meditation practicum, so theory around the practice. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Yeah. And that's interesting because we're talking about embodiment now. That's right. (laughs) That's right. Oh, what a wonderful trip. I'm so happy for you. Thanks. So let's dig in to our topic today. Let's do it. So in our last episode, we examined what we all mean by embodiment Mm because that's a word that's showing up in a lot of places these days. And as an extension of that inquiry, we're going to unpack what I refer to as the 12 embodiments of yoga, which are 
qualities that allow us to engage with the abstract world. So today we'll start with the first two, which are quiet and attention. When we're talking about ways to be embodied, we might be talking about tangibility, like things we can experience with our senses. And we also might be talking about the more ephemeral bits of being in a human body, which could involve a muting of our sensory nature for a bit of time so we can feel the fullness of ourselves in a softer, less, I don't know, invaded kind of way. Mm. I like that. I like that. There is a sense that things crowd us. Mm-hmm. This is kind of hover around. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It, and more than just hover, I mean, we get, we get, Added by the world, A T T E D, you know, yeah. like like in yeah. Twitter yeah. speak. Don't at me. Yeah, yeah. But the the world is is adding us all the time. My phone ats me constantly. You know, the people in my house at me constantly in in good ways. Mm-hmm. And and I'm grateful for all those ways that I that people at me. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, there's there's got to be a balance. Yeah. Anyway, so another way that I conceptualized this list was in sort of uh, three groups. And the first group is distinction. Second group is indistinction. And then there's the combination of the two. So what do I mean by that? For example, quiet and attention. I think our ways of distinguishing or making a distinction between ourselves and the swirling aliveness of the world, as opposed to some of the embodiments which we may discuss later, like spaciousness and whimsy, which we might say unencumber us from having to be a singularity. So they, they help us be a little indistinct for a while. Yeah. It's almost like when we get quiet or we choose how we're going to play, place our attention, it's like we're putting up a little bit of a screen, mm-hmm. like a barrier. Mm-hmm. I like that, this distinction. Yeah. Yeah, a healthy boundary, right? Mm-hmm. An assertion of, of ourselves and our needs as an individual organism. Yeah. And then, those, and then that indistinction is taking it away and now inviting in. Yes. Yeah. Yes, mm. exactly. And then, and then those two binaries could be further compared with the mixed medium (laughs) of the two, which is where relationship with others comes into play, where we explore and train up the qualities like compassion and kindness and generosity and love. Yeah. But as far as quiet and attention being a starting point for embodiment, it's really foundational as far as settling into the truth of who we are. As I was just referencing, there's so much noise in our culture that's telling us stories about ourselves so often. And unfortunately, those stories are usually focused on all the room we have for improvement. And that's a <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's a euphemism. Yeah. I, I call that I'm not I didn't make this up, obviously, but I call that should energy. Mm. 
And mm-hmm. it's interesting how that energy it comes really direct and distinctly, like you should do this and you should do this. And people use that phrase. But there's mm-hmm. also a kind of subtle should energy that we absorb. Sometimes I think a little bit more in intentional spaces. Mm. I should be more enlightened than I am right now. I should be able to handle this better than I do. Shouldn't I be beyond this? (laughs) I should be able to sit for 40 minutes without my leg falling asleep. Yeah, yeah. All of that. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. And so, yeah, like to get quiet is to get honest. Mm Mm-hmm. And really, like, get honest compassionately and simply that we are usually more than okay. And, and that has to include all the ways in which we feel not okay. Yeah. Like, that too is okay. It has mm-hmm, to be. Mm-hmm. All the flavors of suffering we endure are a mixture of just the definition of being human. I and love so, that. a quiet, attentive frame of mind makes room for the suffering and maybe cushions it with all the attendance it needs, attending, attendance, for at least momentary healing. Yeah, you know, what's interesting that about that is that what we're seeing around the science of emotions and just exploring emotionality more broadly mm-hmm. is that getting quiet and being with even the scary stuff, even yeah. the difficult to be with, the, the the emotions that drift towards that spectrum of suffering, it, that quietude brings about ease in a in a way that we don't expect, right? Because we think, oh, if I pay attention to that, it's just going to overwhelm me and consume me. Yeah. But instead, it it diminishes. It's it softens, and I'm reminded of that phrase that. Thich Nhat Hanh always says, but I, I do believe this is a just a variation of something that the Buddha himself said, which is, you know, we need to hold our suffering like a mother holds her crying baby. Exactly. Sweetly, tenderly. And the mother doesn't like get in the baby's face and shout at it. She gets quiet. She shows the baby how to, how to be with its feelings. Exactly. Oh, so There's- sweet. There's a scene. I'm not going to give anything away. I promise. We just watched the final episode of Better Call Saul. Mm-hmm. And I, I won't say who the character is or what the context is in case anyone's watching and hasn't finished. But there is a scene where a character has a full on emotional release. Tears are more than flowing you know it's it's a it's a primal sob and there there are strangers present when this character has this release and all you see is one person's hand coming into the frame and just gently resting on the crying person's lap oh. Wow. It's it's so beautifully touching and here's here's the thing for me it felt quiet. Mm-hmm. Even in the midst of all of the sound of the sobbing it was a quiet gesture and it brought a quiet attention to this tender moment. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I had 
an experience on retreat like Mm. that once. It was, oh gosh, it's now like 12 years ago. It was when I did my training the first time with Sarah Powers. Mm -hmm. And my my now good friend Kate, um, hi Kate, (laughs) if you're listening, (laughs) down in Australia. she was my bunk mate at Kripalu Center. You know how they have bunk bunks yeah. there, and um, and she was also next to me on the mat. And we were doing saddle pose or something, mm-hmm. you know, a challenging pose. And Kate starts sobbing, mm-hmm. not like going on, but there was enough in me. I was still a really new mom. My daughter was only like two, two and a half, three ish mm-hmm. at the time, still wrestling with all the. The transformation that's going on in those early years, and I start sobbing, <laughs> and we're just sitting there, the two of us, <laughs> you know, Aww. a little bit gasping. And one of the assistants came over. She sat down between us, and she put one hand on Kate's thigh mm. and one hand on mine, and just held us. Mm-hmm. Didn't say a word. Didn't. It didn't even ask us at the end. Do you need to talk or just? Let us yeah. know that we weren't alone. Yeah. And it was her quiet that uh, – because if she had said anything, right, if she'd come in, right. it would have felt like fixing. Right. Or I need you to stop. <laughs> you know, this concern like – because we're already thinking that too. I never actually asked Kate, did you think this? But I know I was thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm disturbing everybody else's practice. I, I need to stop, you know. And she came over and gave me permission mm. in the not saying anything. Mm. It was gorgeous. That is exactly the thing. Yeah. Mm. So I thought I'd offer some things to think about that are not quiet. <laughs> <laughs> or that quiet isn't. Yeah. You know, the, some less obvious things. So quiet is not complacency. Right. You know, if we equate the two, then what we're doing is we're, we're surrendering our strength. Like mm-hmm. we're shrinking away from the world. It's like holding your breath and hovering in suspended existence, kind of without any power. So I don't think being quiet is to be complacent. And I also don't believe that quiet is a prideful satisfaction. Like if we equate quiet with ego or smug power, then then as opposed to surrendering strength, we're surrendering softness and relaxation and we're just feeding desire and aversion. Yeah. Yeah, I just as you were saying that, I had two really distinct images come up in my head. Mm. Okay, so pop culture images. Mm. Okay, so if for anybody who's watched the show The Boys, have you seen that show? No, I haven't. It is, it's on Amazon. It's um, like su- bad superheroes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and <clears throat> the, the, the Captain America comp is uh, this guy called Homelander, and he's, you know, this embodiment of toxic American exceptionalist culture Mm -hmm. and he sits in these meetings just like you described Mm. not saying anything but he's leaning back his eyes are rolled up half into his head and he's got his arms crossed over his chest like 
all of you are idiots is the energy that he's emitting. Yeah. And doesn't that speak volumes? Yeah. That's not quiet. Yeah. And then at the same time, you get, I was getting the juxtaposition between that and this um, classic, uh, very serious Japanese Zen practitioner, mm. <laughs> you know, who is very Im connected to their hara in the belly center and which is a very Japanese cultural thing too. And, mm -hmm. and just is listening and mm. observing, doesn't feel compelled to interject his own opinions about things. Yeah. And, and his silence is transmitting um, an openness, like an invitation for other people to, to be in the space as well. And, and this person doesn't have anything to prove because they're at home with themselves. It's a, quite a stark contrast. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, so if it's, you know, if it's not complacency and it's not pride or, or smug satisfaction, um, because one surrenders strength and the other surrenders softness. I think we might say that it's balance, that quiet is a, is a perch in a very precious balanced place where we're bringing equal measure of power and peace. And that's where they meet in the same quiet place. What and, do you think? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. I was going to say, what do you think about calm or calmness mm -hmm. sort of being, if not a synonym, just a, a close other word to go with quiet? I think that's a great, that's a great concept. I think that works really well in, in this framework. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because calm also folds in this notion that we'll talk about in a minute of attention. I think if you're calm, you're 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 paying attention quietly, mm. without without uh, imposing yourself. Yeah, yeah. What made me think of that is, you know, if somebody's, I don't know, why, I don't know why meeting metaphors keep coming up into my head, <laughs> but um, but no, there's you know, if you're sitting in, with a group of people. And you're not saying anything because internally, you're you've got anxious things, you know, anxiousness going. There's a vigilance going, mm -hmm. um, scanning for safety. That's not calm, right? Right. And, and so, in many ways, quiet is is not really like you're not saying anything, but there's no quiet. You know but, what else is interesting mm. is when one's own true quiet in the calm way that we're describing unsettles somebody else. Yeah. You know, I remember um, as a as a kid into my teen years and maybe even into college years, although I don't remember specifically so much as I do when I was younger, being told all the time, you're so quiet. Hmm. <laughs> that was not me, so I'm tell me more. <laughs> yeah, well <laughs> I didn't take it necessarily as a criticism, nor did I take it as a compliment, but I was always curious about like, well, 
because I don't really have anything to say right now. I'm just taking it in. Mm -mm. Mm. You know, my way of being social, of interacting with people was, and maybe it still is, I'll have to think about that some more, was to just be there for it, to just show up for people and take it in and and consider and contemplate and and ask questions inside my own head before they got vocalized and and came out when we as a family or even just with my kids or with Amir just the two of us are in the car we often don't really talk it's just easy quiet space and i mm. like that yeah Hmm. There's a cultural bias against quiet because because we're just so conditioned to fill the what we perceive as a void. It's not hmm. a void at all, but it's seen that way. Yeah, this this makes me think of something that I put in my notes around um, the Zen concept of beginner's mind. Mm. Yeah, and 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 this is. A, a little bit more of an abstract take on quiet, but the way in which we come into situations thinking we already know what the scene is all about or what our stance is or what our opinions are, how we're going to show up. <laughs> you know, I'm just laughing because yeah. I planned, you know, I took notes for this conversation. <laughs> 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 you know, like we, we do that a lot. We, we, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but, you know, kind of rehearse conversations, especially difficult ones. And sometimes that's good. It keeps you from um, allowing parts of you that are unskillful to just get unleashed. But a lot of times I think it, 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 it turns us into what, what the Zen master teacher uh, Suzuki said was, you know, that's an expert mind. And mm -hmm. what he says about the beginner's mind versus the expert mind. So the beginner's mind is the one that comes in open and, and doesn't have any assumptions. His mind is not already filled with a lot of noise, like you described. And so the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, but the in the experts, there are few. And And I'm thinking about the ways in which they're saying now how filling that space, putting content into those, what we perceive as, as you said, voids, mm -hmm. robs us of creativity. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we, we already think we know what we had or we're, we're receiving other people's opinions about things and there's no beginner's mind there. There's no openness to something novel and different. And that getting quiet is, is like a portal into a place of, of something new and, and something that um, novel, interesting, different. So should we should we turn our attention to attention? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Okay. Right. <laughs> so obviously there there are lots of different forms of attention. There's attention for entertainment or diversion, right? There's binging on all the shows, all the great shows that are out there. Uh, there's scrolling through our socials. Th those are sort of, you know, playing games on our phones. Those are all ways that, that we can pay attention and they have their value when they're done wisely in moderation. And 
they have their detriment when they're done mindlessly or instead of more pressing things, right? So, so that's one form of attention. There's also the attention that scrutinizes. It's, it's the attention that we pay to our imperfections when we stare in the mirror and mm. take that daily invoice of what's wrong. You know, that critical kind of scrutiny is usually not very constructive. No. Mm -mm. I hadn't thought about it that way. I usually think of it from that vantage point of, am I focused Mm. or am I distracted Mm -hmm. (laughs) or checking out, dissociating? Mm -hmm. I hadn't thought about the attention that we place that critical attention that we place on ourselves yeah. in that same frame. It's an interesting yeah. doorway there. <laughs> yeah. Then there's the attention to obsess. Yeah. Where we replay regrettable moments in our minds over and over and over, you know? And so the quality of attention is, is the thing. And I think, I think there's this weird inverse proportionality between the duration or the tractability of a situation and the amount of attention we pay to it. And what I mean is we spend far more time latching on and paying a lot of attention to the things that are inevitably going to pass pretty quickly, trivial ephemera, and far less attention and time to the longer lasting qualities of being human. Mm. So it's mindful and wise attention that allows us to penetrate the moment and see how the ego is coloring it, to see how fear is latching on to it, and to see how a lack of faith might be diminishing it. I was reminded too of you know, because we talk a lot about attention in yoga and in Buddhism, like attention is is really what we're doing in our practice. But I, I really appreciate that you're making the distinction between the quality of attention and and more specifically what we're focusing on. Coming back to Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, he's taking a fresh look, or he took a fresh look at the Buddhist five precepts and the one about refraining from consuming intoxicants. Mm. He expanded to not just be uh, what we normally think of as intoxicants, alcohol or uh, hallucinogenic substances. I'm just thinking about what they would have had at at his time. to also include like the media that we consume, the company that we keep, pretty mm. much everything coming in through our sense doorways and whether or not it waters wholesome seeds or uh, weeds, right? And um, yeah, it, it, it does make me think about all the TV and, <laughs> and, you know, is this the kind of content that I want in my brain? Yeah. Have you heard that joke about the guy sitting alone at the coffee shop doing nothing, just drinking his coffee like Mm -mm. a psychopath? (laughs) 
<laughs> Shouldn't he be doing something? That's what a creeper. Right? He's not paying attention to anything yeah. except for what he's doing and probably thoroughly enjoying it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so to sum up the two qualities of quiet and attention, I think that the message here is that to be able to get quiet by attending to each moment as it arises and as it passes is to balance out the, um, the, the preponderance of, of ego, egoistic um, drive and the fear of sort of lacking agency that it, it it renders us in this in this as you brought in this idea of calm renders us into this calm state of readiness for for whatever for all of it good bad ugly sacred profane all of it a calm state of readiness hmm. i love and, that and um i brought another quote Mm. (laughs) Um, This is Krishnamurti, Mm -hmm. Indian philosopher, and he talks about, I'm maybe adding to his commentary a little bit, but, you know, if you have quiet plus attention equals clarity. Mm. And, And he says that the silent observation, so that's quiet and attention, of what is. So he calls that choiceless awareness. And it's in this choiceless awareness that problems unroll itself and therefore is completely understood. Yeah. It's, it's, it dovetails right back onto that beginner's mind. Right, right. Yeah. The, the, I think the point here in many ways is we have to start really examining how much we're injecting into moments, things yes. that aren't really there. Yes, <laughs> yes. Because... Because, you know, in, when we do that, we're, we're not making space for quiet and, and we're, we're paying attention to stuff that doesn't have to be. Yeah. Hmm. So how do we embody this, Annie? <laughs> <laughs> I always have a part in my head that's like, okay, now how do we practice this? <laughs> I mean, what I are your am, thoughts on that? My, I am such a huge fan of getting out in nature, yeah, taking a walk in the woods, because there's so much to pay attention to, and it's so quiet. But then when you realize that quiet does not mean there's a lack of sound, mm-hmm. then you're starting to there's like a hum of the universe that that we can that we can synchronize with. We can be part of that vibrational presence. This morning, just before we recorded this, I I did my walk in the woods with the dog and I, I, I was paying attention to the sound of quiet. And I was, I was kind of enumerating for myself just as a little experiment 
how many sound, how many different sounds I was hearing. Like, you know, I can't even count all the different bird song. Mm -hmm. um, the way that there's a creek that runs through where I walk. So the way the water was sounding, rushing around and through and over the rocks, the wind in the trees, the distant traffic and all of the sounds that that incorporates, you know, the, the various like honking and beeping and backing up noises that cars and trucks make. There was occasional voice in the distance and footsteps of other people. You know, there's a song, the, the sound of my dog rustling around in the grass. It was beautifully quiet but not at all silent. Yeah. And that felt embodied. That felt like okay, I'm I'm here. I'm attending to these moments. Um and I'm being bathed in this sound of of sweet beingness. Hmm. What I'm hearing is that the quiet was in you. Mm. Yeah. And that's really what we're talking about here. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. Okay. So in our next segment, we often do, you know, what we're reading, what we're, what we're, <laughs> we, you know exactly what we're watching on TV <laughs> after this <laughs> episode. <laughs> um, but there's a little bit of a trend in in podcast universe of the the things that are saving our life right now. And I think some people are recording whole episodes. We don't need to do that. But mm. I thought it was a fun inquiry. These are these are anything, any kind of life hack, anything that's just keeping you tethered. And I'm thinking too a little preemptively, as here in the US, we head into the the heat of an election cycle and, and things are going to get uh, a little more uh, elevated. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so um, maybe we just, we go alternate. Yeah. What do you think? Sure. Okay. So the first one on my list is, uh, well, let me just say in my, in my, my aging time, <laughs> I have become lactose intolerant <laughs> and soy intolerant. And it's just very unpleasant. Mm -hmm. And my deepest culinary love in the universe is chocolate. I'm, I am a chocolate person. I love it. I love it. I love it. And so it's heartbreaking because a lot of chocolate has dairy or soy or both. But what is saving me, because I need just a little hit, I take I take, like, it's like a pill. <laughs> <laughs> I take one square a day, usually after lunch, of a chocolate bar called Alter Eco Chocolate Bars. You can get them at your, you know, foo-foo, whole foodsy kind of places. We have a store here called Mom, My Organic Market, that has mm -hmm. them too. And um, not only do they have many variations and flavors that don't have dairy and don't have soy. They're uh, supporting local farmers in, in the countries where chocolate is grown or cocoa beans are grown. And so they're also a really good company. So Ulster Eco chocolate bars are my, my lifesaver right now. That's a great 
tip. Well, along the food lines, um, hungry lady salads on TikTok. There's a TikToker who's a, she used to be a personal chef. Her name is Kathleen Ashmore. Her handle on TikTok is cat can cook with a K. And she has a series called Hungry Lady Salads. And the tagline for it is um, uh, something like whole meals that fill you up or salads that like a meal fill you up. And mm. oh my goodness, I've learned so many delicious recipes for dressings because that's where I fall down on salad making. Like I can assemble some yummy, delicious vegetables and proteins, but I I just, I never know what to do with dressing and I don't like bottled dressing. Yeah. yeah. So I've learned all these amazing dressings from her. Like the, my favorite one is the Thai peanut dressing. Mm. So if you're on TikTok, check her out. Hungry yeah. Lady Salads, Cat Can Cook. I am always really surprised at what's out there on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh -huh. not crazy. Oh, um, we I... we are big fans of that um, TikTok fed a pasta that the Washington Post wrote a whole article about. <laughs> and and for those who were like, wait, didn't you just say you were lactose intolerant? Apparently, feta because it's not cow, right? Um, is okay. Yeah, goat goat, goat mm -hmm. is still okay too. So mm -hmm. it's oh my god, that pasta is so good. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> Maybe that one's saving my life too. The TikTok <laughs> feta pasta recipe. Mm. <laughs> um, the other thing that's been really helping me a lot lately is uh, um, I've been doing a lot of work inside my business, you know, updating copy and re redoing my web pages and all that kind of stuff. And it's so hard to do that kind of stuff you know, in a vacuum by yourself. Um, it's hard to stay motivated. You never know if what you're putting out there is any good. Is it going to resonate? And I've been really benefiting from some peer support uh, with other people doing similar work. So I'll write something. And I'm particularly thinking about Sheila in Dublin, who's been mm. helping me and we've been helping each other. Mm. And it's been so much easier than at any other point when I've ever had to do this kind of work. So well, shout I'm out to, to peer support. <laughs> I have to check that out. Yeah. Got um, any more? <laughs> my dog. My oh, dog yeah. saves my life every day. Yeah. There's, um, there's some scientific evidence <laughs> that petting an animal is good for your nervous system. It helps with vagal tone and um, there, there is a study that I remember from years ago that has really always stuck with me that if you do 40 strokes in one minute on your cat or dog, that you will produce a, a day's worth of oxytocin, which is <laughs> oh, the wow. feel good hormone that keeps, a a a new mother, a nursing mother bonded to her child. And the thing that gets produced when we laugh and when we socialize and when we're intimate with a partner. And um, it it is 
it is a key well-being hormone and our animals can help us get that. Oh, well, I know exactly what I'm doing when we're done. <laughs> I, have, I have two fluffy, fluffy beasts to, to go stroke. <laughs> yeah, I guess I should be more inclusive about pets. I think it works on, you know, on guinea pigs and ferrets and whatever you've got. I don't think you can pet a fish. No, but they don't like it. <laughs> anything with fur, the, mm. any warm, furry creature. I'm wondering, I have a friend with a bearded dragon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like getting your little finger and rubbing its head. They seem to like it. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe a reptile. My Our gecko would not want that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for listening, and please send us feedback. We would love to hear from you. You can email us at feedback at skillfulmeanspodcast.com, and you could leave a voicemail message for us. (laughs) Speaking of, Jen, remind us what the, what, where we go to do that. Yeah, so it's an app called SpeakPipe, speakpipe.com slash skillful means podcast and we would also appreciate your ratings and your reviews and your subscribes and your follows i know everybody's app does something different so whatever makes sense for the app that you're using do that please (laughs) we would really appreciate it yeah and until next time may we take refuge in the practices that help us move with ease connect with grace and be of service